Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. To episode 157 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. I'm Gregoire. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, we're going to be talking dolphins. Oh, that's pretty- but before we get there, Greg, tell me about your week in science. I'm very lucky to be looking at Dan face to face. We don't get the opportunity all the time because I live one tenth of the way around the planet on the other side of the continent. Of Australia, but I'm right here in the room with Dan. But uh, Australia is just an island. Surely you can walk across it. It's not it. considered an island anymore. It's not considered. It's considered a small continent. It upset me because Greenland has decided it's the largest island. And when I argued that at a pub trivia, people showed me things on the internet. Went, no, Australia is not considered an island. I'm like, but it's totally surrounded by water. That's the definition of an island. And they're like, well, that's technically all the places an island. But we guess they're all islands. Human definitions. It's just... <laughs> anyway, the point of this is... They're I've all ca- stuck together with glue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not get back down that wasp nest again. <laughs> so I have flown over here from Perth to Brisbane, right across the continent. And when I touched down, I was quite horrified to see first-hand effects of all the fires that are raging around at the moment. So around uh, to the north of Brisbane, mm-hmm. to the south of Brisbane, out into the hinterland, the Toowoomba hinterland, and even on the islands to the east. So anywhere, anywhere the wind blows, smoke is coming into Brisbane. And it's not just Brisbane. It's all a lot of, uh, a lot of New South Wales is on fire. Catastrophic fires. Yep. Very dry, very hot. Very windy. So mm-hmm. the trifecta of fun when it comes to fires. A bad situation that it's going to get worse. South Australia, they're worried about that. Western Australia, they're very worried about catastrophic fires. They're basically, the catastrophic level of our danger, like you have like low danger and then high danger and extreme danger. And we created catastrophic and now we're using catastrophic. Yeah. It's really bad. And, of course, this is connected to the fact of climate change because we having... Ah, oh, the natural ebb and flow of the planet Earth and its relation to its sun. I will, I'll kill you. Yep, I, will cut, fair I will cut you. Fair enough. It's not even, no, 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 no. No, isn't that just bad data from a couple of bad eggs down at NASA? <laughs> no, well, the sun is getting warmer over a longer period of time, but not this fast. This is not, and it's not Milankovitch cycle. We've talked about this before, Dan. Yes, we have. We've talked about this a lot. That's why I'm talking out of the side yeah. of my face. For people who don't know this, Dan doesn't believe all this stuff. It's just, yeah, we've, we've debunked being a sh- Shit. <laughs> We've debunked this a lot. Now, my point is that, that these extreme climate events and this climate emergency... I mean, I used to. I, I I did fall down this rabbit hole. I read that Michael Crichton book. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I've Jurassic got galaxy Park. brain. No, not Jurassic oh, okay. Park. Okay. State of Fear, oh. which is all climate change denialist oh, stuff. Good. And I was like, I've got galaxy brain now. Oh. Actually, did you know that these charts mm-hmm. say that... Uh, I, I got put in my place... Well, I got I got corrected. Mm, good with prejudice. Good. No, that's fine. The, the point is, these climate emergency things are happening more frequently, and uh, and these like, these fires. Yes, Australia's always had fires. It's an arid continent, but they're becoming more frequent, and they're getting more severe. Like this is this, we can show this data. And what really scared me recently was there was the first time in recorded, or at least yeah, recorded Western history anyway, of climate in Australia. The last two hundred years it was the first day a couple of weeks ago that Australia, the whole continent, had no rain. No rain. No rain for twenty four hours. Not one drop of water touched the continent from the sky. And that is weird. That is mm. not normal. Somewhere, even though it's an arid continent, somewhere it's raining somewhere, okay? We do have tropics. Yes, and we have also Tasmania, which is just covered in clouds. Yep. And, and it's, 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 it's unbelievable, and we all kind of ignored it. It's like the frog in the pot situation, once, which is not real. Frogs will get out of hot, slowly boiling water. We talked this on the podcast, too. Yeah. Uh, but it, the, the, the idea, is, of course, is you don't even notice it. Because I flew into Brisbane and saw this haze, I mean, living in this haze, I don't know if you can hear my voice. My voice is buggered because of the, the smoke. And I, I'm coughing all the time. I'm having asthma attack for the first time in years. And it's really, it sucks. But because I flew in from somewhere else, I think it really hit me a lot harder than other people because I, I walked into it. I haven't had acclimatized to it. I'm not used to this terrible situation that we're in. Why I'm bringing this up is our politicians at the moment, and, and I'm not even picking on the ones that are in power. I'm talking about all of them because they're all just equally goddamn useless at this point. All the major parties. We're not a political podcast. But they're not. They're, it's not a government that's ready to deal with big issues. It's, no. a, it's a bunch of private schoolboys yeah. who picked politics because they figured that they could make that. That's where you make money if you're a successful private schoolboy. Yeah. But what we need are politicians who are 
politicians because they want to make change and they want to do great things. Or maybe scientists are politicians enough. Goddamn lawyers. We don't even goddamn lawyers and economic ec- economists. Anyway, it's a different. It's a different rant. Different rant. Mm. So my issue is that these people aren't changing. And now our prime minister came out and went, oh, you can't talk about climate change because people are dying in fires. You can talk about two things at once, everyone. You can. You can. You can say... I can't believe it's so transparently the gun control thing. Yes. Yeah. They, he literally came out and said, what is it? Thoughts, and thoughts and prayers. He tweeted thoughts and, and prayers. prayers. Yeah. That's a fucking punchline. It is, yeah. It's, and it's really bad. You can't do that. God <laughs> he, damn it. He, and then he's like, oh, no, we can't talk about the thing that created the tragedy when the tragedy happens. Yep. That's a gun control thing again. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's upsetting and terrible. And then, and then he had the audacity a couple of days later then to say, oh, by the way, isn't it great the cricket season's coming? Because now we can all, it'll be great because the cricketers will give something for the fireys to barrack for, as if not barracking for not burning down all the houses is worth barracking for. So we can talk about cricket during fires. We can't talk about climate changing fires. I'm very angry about this. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe he sees ashes as a good thing. <laughs> All right, so I'm trying to bring it back into people's minds. I'm sure you haven't forgotten climate change, especially people with climate, the climate emergency that we are actually in. This, this, it's, it's happening. It's happening around us. This is the evidence of it. It's happening, okay? And if you're not in Australia, California, you basically burnt into, burst into flame and for long before we did. Uh, around the world, there's raising waters. There's, there's bad shit happening everywhere, okay? This is, this, and it's going to get worse, and you know it's happening. And I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir here when you listen to this podcast. Most of you, I doubt you'd be listening to the podcast anymore because you know how Dan and I stand on it. So I'm not just coming here to yell at people. Otherwise, I'd just go on Facebook, yell at my friends, <laughs> and tell them what they know and make them feel bad. That's what Facebook is for. We're not Facebook. <laughs> we don't have a billion dollars, and we have morals. Wow, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a whole thing today. Angry about everything. <laughs> Angry about everything today. So the point of this is you can do something. Don't sit there and be scared. No, be scared, but do something as well. Don't be paralyzed by the fear. And you are a tiny... alert, but not alarmed. Yes, which well, is, a bit alarmed. Which is the which is the work work the conservative government's take on terrorism. Which I mean, now we're going to use their language against them. That's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll use yeah, that. Yeah, let's yeah, let's do that. Yeah, we'll use it against them. Yeah, I, if you see something, say something. something. Yes, absolutely. And and you talk you talk to your family members about it. I've done it recently with family members who who didn't particularly believe in all this, and I didn't yell at them. And I know people, but they don't believe. You can't be. You can't change their minds. They may be too old. Maybe they're lost causes. Okay, but give it a go. Chat to them about it, and don't be an asshole about it. Be a, be a loving family member. And if they're like, I don't believe it, you're like, okay, well, I understand that, but I believe in it. And you just take it from your point of view. It's not belief. Remember, it's not belief. It's well, here the evidence seems to say this. Well, I, don't, I disagree with that. Okay, that's nice. And then you can go back later. You may not ever change their mind. It's not a loss if you don't, but maybe bring it up. You're a tiny cog in this wheel. We've mentioned this before. You're a very, very small cog. You can't change the world you're not a superhero you're not a billionaire you don't have the power but you can change little things so live with the little things you can change don't write an email that's an email forget emails write a letter write an actual letter that really pisses off politicians when you write them a letter because someone has to open it and deal with it it's great (laughs) write a letter and you're like i'm not going to do that do it don't not do it don't go, oh, I'll get that tomorrow. No, 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 no. Find out who your politicians are on all levels, your local, especially in Australia, local and state and federal. What a waste of time. Multiple levels of government that do fuck all. Just, anyway. <clears throat> and basically write to them and say, I believe in this. Here's the evidence. Do something about this. I'm not going to vote for you if you're not. And then don't vote for them. There's another one. There's the big lever that you can pull. Don't vote for these bastards. This is the hill that... I choose to die on because we're all going to die on the hill because mm. the waters will rise and we'll right. drown. We'll all be on hills. <laughs> yes. There'll be only hills. There'll be nothing but hills left. You can do it. And it's not meant to scare you. And I apologize if this has worried you. I just want to point out that you have power. Not a lot of power. I admit that. And, and then even, I'm going to go right on a limb here. Protest. I'm not a big protest person. Mm-hmm. I am not a protest person. I don't like it. I've never found the use for it. I admit that. Although, a couple of podcasts ago, we realized that uh, it's actually pretty effective. Three and a half percent. Yeah. All you need, people. Three and a half percent of the population to protest to and, and, and politely protest. I know everyone wants to punch the Nazis or whatever your latest exciting I'm doing something when you're not doing something meme on Facebook is. But you can protest and you can go out there. And if you want to tie up to something, tie up to something. If you just want to march up a street, march up a street. Get involved. Get out there and do it. If you can't do it, that's fine too. Are we have friends of ours who are like, if I go to jail, then my kids don't have a parent. I get it. I'm not saying go to jail. <laughs> don't go to jail. Just support these people any way you can. Yeah. Um, this needs to be done. And don't 
be sad about the small levels that you help. This is this is yeah. important. You cannot change the world. You can only be a part of the change of the world. Yeah. Every time you don't travel one-tenth of the way around the planet <laughs> oh, using an aircraft this is, is help to the community. Yeah, I know, I know. And there's, this has been the thing that's been bothering me too is because I catch planes a bit too, and I'm, yeah. so I want to look into offset credits. Yes, and I do that flights. too. Then that, there's some evidence that works. And, some, and I look into that. I, I mean, I, I don't eat meat, and I, this is not a I'm great thing. I don't own a car anymore for lots of different reasons. But I'm doing what I can do, and that you can do what you, you can do. It's yep. fine. And it's a fine. Uh, the thing that broke my heart recently, I was going to mention on another podcast. I'll bring it up here. Every rocket that goes into the atmosphere, into space, so, you know, SpaceX and all this stuff, all this stuff I love. You know how much listeners I love this stuff, yep. and I'm just all for it. It's 400 transatlantic flights of carbon dioxide that goes into the atmosphere. Ooh. This is really bad. This means if you have all these companies making rockets that go into space, we're going to really kick the shit out of the atmosphere. But that doesn't mean it's all over. Part of me went, oh, that's it, no more space travel. But no, no, we just have to keep into mind and make sure that when you say, this only costs $1,000 a kilogram uh, to get into space, what's what Elon Musk wants to do. Yep. Then you go, no, Elon, it's actually $1,500 because $500 per kilogram has to go towards getting rid of the carbon dioxide that you just shat yeah. into the atmosphere. We have to make the, the, the fact of the pollution paid for by the consumer. And Maybe that's, that's why he's so into electric cars is he can offset the rocket fuel stuff that I, he's going to do. I, I would be su- not surprised if that's one of the reasons. And, and it, look, so you, know, it, it's, you can't be perfect, and, but never be told you're not perfect. Because you don't do this. Like Dan just said, Greg, you came across the country. Yes, I know. I'm a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. We have to live. Uh, I mean, but you honestly, can be a better hypocrite than other hypocrites. Absolutely. And also, the best thing would be to don't, don't have kids. Don't, but, and I know saying that, people and friends of mine who have children are like, you son of a bitch. But it's like, that's, then we don't have a society, and then, then what are we fighting for? That's the thing, because every time you have a kid, there's a non-zero chance that that kid will be some sort of super genius mutant who will save us from ourselves. Maybe. Because someone's got to... Maybe. Like, I feel like the only way out of this is if some super genius works out how to suck carbon out of the no, a- atmosphere no. and turns it into nanotubes. No, 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 Dan. This, 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 I, I'm going to disagree with you here. Because, You're all right, good. Because the, the technology exists to stop this. It is not required. There is no, there is no, we don't have to pluck a magic answer from the sky. We can change this now. We have the technology now. We just don't have the political mm. and economic. No one wants to spend the money. At, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this podcast right now, my lovely listeners, you may end up paying more money for your lifestyle. Your comfortable, fat, middle-class lifestyle. And you're going to have to pay money. You're going to have to increase your taxes. It's going to happen. Then maybe we need a super genius child who's charismatic enough to convince people. Absolutely. And I'll take that job. No, no. Everyone, quickly, line up around the street and I will father many charismatic, wonderful... Wait, this got weird. This got strange. (laughs) We've talked to a lot of scientists during the time of this podcast. But today we're talking to someone who actually teaches science and how people should become scientists. Please welcome to the podcast, Darren Hamley, who's the coordinator of Williton Senior High School's Gifted and Talented Program. Okay, thanks, Greg. Good to be here. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, Darren, what is the high school, Wilton High School's Gifted and Talented Program? Um, Look, it's a program that caters for students in the top 3% of their age group, but with most sort of gifted programs, people spend a huge amount of effort on getting students a higher ATAR score, but in this program, we're really, really keen on developing that passion for their subject area. So for me, it's their passion for science, and my main philosophy is that I want the kids to go home, burst through the door and say, Mum, you wouldn't believe what I did at school today. So that's what I'm after. And you've done some pretty amazing things. Looking through the list of things that you've sort of been known for, you made a solar-powered car and travelled it across Australia, north to south. Yeah, I've done it a couple of times. So I'm Darwin (laughs) to Adelaide twice in the Solar Car Challenge and twice I've done a 1,000K section of the Nullarbor Plain on Solar Car and about six weeks ago... Uh, the first ever solar circumnavigation of Rottnest Island, which was really exciting, great fun. So to those who don't know, Rottnest Island is an island off the coast of Perth in Western Australia. and I know that one. Smiley little creatures. That's, that's true. That's very true. Actually, one, yeah. one of the things I had to do for the solar car, we had to add a quokka cam onto the car. <laughs> quokka cam was basically a camera that was pointing at the front wheels to make sure I didn't run any over. So that was an, a, a good addition. <laughs> 
that's, that doesn't surprise me. For our non-Australian listeners, a quokka is this small, rabbity-looking thing. It's it's a marsupial, though. It looks like it's smiling. Its face set up looks like it's smiling. So everyone loves them, and they're so I'm going to say dim. I don't know if that's fair, but they're they're. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> They're so dim that when you when you go to the island and just sit down and do something interesting for six seconds, they just walk directly over to you. So they're the most easily killed things. Not that not that I, we should kill them or I have killed them, but they, I they mean just they die. taste pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but without the pocket cam, I would have run over many of them. So. <laughs> I love them. so yeah. So you had to you had to build a bit of technology to save the quokkas. Yeah. Oh my goodness, stupid animals! I mean, they're lovely, but also stupid. But we're not here to talk about quokkas or electric cars or anything like that. We're here to talk about bioacoustics and your work with bioacoustics in dolphins specifically. What is bioacoustics? Just study of the sounds that animals make. I started off when I was at uni. I did some bioacoustics, looking at honey eater calls. But this is is way more interesting than listening to honey eaters. I can imagine. Now, you have worked with the dolphins in Swan River in uh, near Perth. It's mainly in Monkey Mine. It's 850 days north of Perth is most of my work. Okay. So can you explain where Monkey Mire is and what it's all about? So Monkey Mire, it's an amazing place. So the, the highway goes up the coast and then it's a detour off the highway for about 150 kilometres to Monkey Mire. So it's really, really isolated. Uh, so it's about a 10-hour drive and it really is in the middle of nowhere. So the bay there is called Shark Bay and there's over a 1,000 dolphins in the bay and lots and lots of sharks as well. It's an amazing, amazing place. So <laughs> it's like a 1,000 dolphins. I have this sort of image of it just like boiling with dolphins just constantly. Actually, there's more than – there's probably more than a 1,000. I think there's a 1,000 named dolphins. Oh, my goodness. Named dolphins? Named, yes. Yeah, so I didn't research... realise there were 1,000 names that dolphins could have. Oh, well, they have all sorts of names. So, I, I mean, I know, I, I sort of feel personally, I know about 20 of the dolphins. And when I go up there, I do the work on exactly the same dolphins because I know who they are. It's right. really, the dorsal fins are really distinctive, mainly from shark bites, but we can definitely <laughs> tell which dolphin's which. That's terrifying. So you can tell which one is which, and you know them from shark bites. That's like me recognizing Dan by the fact only by the dog bites on his face. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my sad. scars. Oh, your sexy scars. My manly scars. That's very good. And shark bites. That's, okay, I see. Good point. I was trying to think of the, the, the equivalent of the shark on the land. I went to dog. I don't think sharks are man's best friend either. I'm not sure. Maybe they are. They're certainly <laughs> not dolphin's best friend anyway. So are they natural predators? I mean, they both fit very similar ecological niches. Kind of. Oh, they, they are. I mean, people, you sort of hear people say that if you swim in the water and there's dolphins, you're safe because the dolphins will scare the sharks away. It's just rubbish. So the, the dolphins are being attacked nonstop by these sharks. They come, they seem to change every year when I go up. The dolphins have got slightly different additions to their dorsal fins or half their tail will be bitten off or. Oh my goodness. So yeah, it's lots of sharks there. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's, that's, this sounds terrifying. So Why is this car- place so popular with both sharks and dolphins? It's a it's a huge seagrass meadow. One of the, it's, if not the biggest in the world, one of the biggest in the world. And so, being a big seagrass meadow, it just has lots of fish there, lots of dugongs, lots of sharks, lots of dolphins. Wow! And it's far away from human beings. Yes, yes. If dolphins are having troubles with sharks, then dugongs must be just having the worst time of their lives because, I mean, at least a dolphin can like swim away really quickly. A dugong just sits there like a big bag of meat. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I certainly <laughs> want to, wouldn't want to be jigging. There's lots and lots of them there, though. Oh, that's fine then. Okay, they just, that's, so safety in numbers once again. You just you just sit in the centre of the herd and let someone else get picked yeah. off. Got it. For those who don't know what a dugong is, a dugong is a sea cow, and it's, it sounds exactly what it sounds like. It's just this big, happy, fat dolphin seal-looking thing. Uh, also a mammal. And apparently the beginning of the mermaid myth. What? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that the mermaid myth sort of came about through dugongs, but they could have chosen something a bit more beautiful than a dugong, that's for sure. Well, they'd been at sea a long time. It's true, yeah. You know, and, you know, back in those days, they liked their ladies Rubenesque. Yeah. Yes, yes. They liked big dugongs, and they cannot lie. So we have dolphins and we have the sharks in Shark Bay. And when you go up there, what are you, what are you studying? Like, what actually, what are you doing up there? What, what are you doing, Darren? Okay, I started off, my daughter in 2013 or so was studying marine science and because it's such a competitive environment, we were looking for volunteering opportunities across Western Australia and so we volunteered at the dolphin feeding program. So there are five dolphins that come into the same section of beach and they get fed three times a day or up to three times a day in every morning and so we volunteered to 
be in the water with buckets of fish and then there's hundreds of people line up on the beach and we choose a number of those people. They come forward, we give them a fish and they feed the dolphin. And that's the reason the place is there because people come to get the chance to feed the dolphins. And we, for one or two weeks a year, are those people choose, we are the ones choosing people to feed them. Okay. So not feeding it. Yes. It sounds like a sacrifice. Feed them to the dolphin. Yeah. You come into the water. No, you mean fish, of course, as you said. Yes. Absolutely. We're feeding fish. So we spend the morning just sort of preparing fish and collecting data. And then when the dolphins come in, there are only five dolphins that are, that are allowed to be fed. And um, if they're there, we go in and let people feed them. The same five dolphins? Yes, yes, same five okay. dolphins. We have to wait until they come in. And it's controlled by the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions, so our parks and wildlife people. So it's really heavily monitored. So years and years ago, probably 15 or so years ago, people could just go into the water and feed dolphins as they liked. But what was happening is that the dolphin calves, they need to be underneath their mum to get um, a drink of milk many times a day. And the dolphins were spending their entire time in the, in the shallows getting free fish. And so the mortality rates of the calves was just absolutely atrocious. So they took control, and now it is very, very strongly controlled, which people complain about, but the survival rate of the dolphin calves has increased incredibly. So, the, so these five dolphins are like the sacrificial dolphins who will well, be will, will, their baby. They'll never have <laughs> babies that survive. Well, they're they're the chosen dolphins rather than the sacrificial dolphins. So they all all dolphins learn how to feed from their mothers. So there's different methods of feeding. Some you know put sponges on their noses and ruffle stuff un, under the seafloor. Others drive fish up onto the shore and kill them that way. These five dolphins, they learnt from their mothers that if you come into this 50-metre section of beach at Monkey Mai, you get fed fish every morning. And so they bring their offspring in to do the same thing and hopefully that will continue for generations. So it's, they're up to the fourth generation now. So when one dolphin dies, I mean, how, actually, how long does a dolphin live for? I have no idea. I just realised. Okay, no, they... around about 40 years. These ones, we've had two or three of them died in the last year. One of them was 42. If a dolphin, um, one of the dolphins dies, it can be replaced by another dolphin. That it needs to satisfy a number of criteria. It needs to be part of that family line. It needs to be of a certain age. It needs to successfully raise its own offspring as well. And it has to be female. Okay. So the dolphins themselves, the generation after generation are on there. They're learning about it. You can recognize them, as you said, from the the damage to their bodies. Is there any other way to recognize them or is it only from their their dorsal fins? Uh, Mainly from their dorsal fins, sometimes from their tail fluke as well. Some of them, like there was a dolphin um, last year uh, that had been coming in for years and years named Surprise, and Surprise had half a head bitten off um, by a tiger shark. She was recognisable from the scarring around her head. Right. Now, do you think that they can recognise you from, like, your ingrown toenails? Oh, look, I would actually like to think that they recognise because I do spend – well, it's two weeks a year and I'm going back there all the time and they are so intelligent, but I don't think so. I mean, okay, I've been there occasionally when I – in the afternoon after I finish work, I've been at the beach and I've had a dolphin throw a fish at me um, <laughs> and I've – I've, I've sort of, they're going, hey, thanks, buddy. You've been feeding me in the morning. I've got a, a pink snapper for you. Um, I think they're just throwing it up to try and kill it. Right. Okay. If I, if, I, if I throw the fish against that guy, it should knock it out. Oh, we've lost Darren again, I think. Ah, uh, the Australian infrastructure. Are you still there, Darren? He's vanished. Someone threw a fish against him. Hello. Hello hey. again. Hey, we lost you there. I don't know what happened there. Okay, this, yeah, this dolphin threw a pink snapper at my feet, and I thought, hey, this is rewarding me for feeding more morning, but I think it was just trying to kill it, that's all. <laughs> How toxic are your feet? Yeah. <laughs> so you were studying also to buy echolocation for dolphins as well? Yeah, so when, when I was in the water the first time doing this feeding, um, I just um, I noticed the I could hear the sounds above the water of the dolphins with the echolocation clicks. And I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I could actually record this? So I asked the rangers if that was fine. They said that was fine if I record them. So I, next time I was up there, I bought a hydrophone, had a digital recorder in my back pocket and attached the hydrophone to my ankle with a hair lackey and took, went about taking recordings of them. And what did you find? What I was looking for originally, I was trying to find out whether I could identify each individual because I knew, I knew which dolphin was making the echolocation and I could make a, um, a regression graph of the echolocation clicks. And I was hoping to be able to say, hey, from this recording, that's this dolphin. But they were too similar to be able to do that. So what I looked at instead 
was if there was any family relationships, whether the mother-daughter pairs had similar patterns. And they were strikingly similar, which was really exciting. Does that mean, would that be the equivalent of having an accent? So mother-daughter having the same accent? It was. And it's really not surprising because the mother and daughter spend about four years together. So it's not surprising they would have that same way of making their echolocation. So the echolocation clicks. They start off quite close together and they progressively get further apart. So what we did for each echolocation burst, we individually looked at the time for each burst, and there's about 100 little echolocation clicks for each one, and then we turned that into a time, inverted the time to get a frequency, and made a graph of frequency versus click number, which sounds complicated. And because I've got students that have to do what I tell them to, I <laughs> these these recordings to my students, and each kid for their part of their work, they had to produce one of these graphs, which take about probably about an hour each to make because you need to look at each individual time. And so I've got 1,600 completed graphs and so complete analysis of 1,600 calls, all done by slave labour. <laughs> so when, you, when you're wondering what do they even teach them in our schools today and that one is uh, how, what the, the – Repetitive tasks. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Most of them can't get enough of it, which is good. <laughs> but anyway, what that led on to is rather than looking at this gradient, how the graph decreased in frequency, we started looking. So actually, I'll get onto that first. But with the, with the, with the, on the 1,600 graphs, they all decreased in frequency. In other words, the echolocation clicks got slightly further apart as, the, as it progressed, mm-hmm. and it, all except for about five of the 1,600. And I had a look at the time of those five, and they all occurred at the exact time that the dolphin was actually being handed the fish. So I thought I'd have a look at the time where the dolphin was fed. So I went back through all the recordings and listened to the splashing of water, which was the splashing of the person walking towards me to the water to get the fish. And then I knew that was the time that they were being fed. And then something really interesting happened then. I looked at the frequency of the call. And the frequency of the echolocation bursts is around about 40 or 50 hertz, so 40 or 50 clicks per second. And all of a sudden... It, it started to increase, increase, increase up to about 400 cycles per second and then suddenly drop off. So you can imagine a graph slowly going uphill, suddenly dropping off. And what was happening was when it started to increase in frequency, that was when the dolphin was seeing the fish with its eyes. Now, the echolocation is normally associated with navigation or foraging for food underwater. But when it was seeing the fish with its eyes above the water, it started to increase and increase and increase, got to 400 as soon as I gave it the fish, it goes, ah, and it was back to 40 hertz. <laughs> Are you saying that it sounds like maybe excitement of the dog? It's not just used for where – or is it trying to find the fish? No, I, I don't think it was trying to find it. I think it was – I mean, it's difficult to sort of anthropomorphize these things that are put into human context, but mm. it is as if it is being excited. It's going, oh, there's a fish coming, and it, was, it started to increase suddenly. And then once it got it, it's sort of going, ah, got it. Yeah. You know? If you were increasing it, would, would you be getting a – a higher resolution of image back? Possibly, but I don't know if it needed the echolocation because the that when I'm feeding them, they're in quite shallow water, they tilt their head to the side and their eye is actually out of the water. Yeah. Um, oh, right, actually, okay. Maybe they're eye. trying to work out what type of fish it is. Awesome. So as I'm soon as it gets really close, they're like, oh, is that a halibut? Is it a whiting? And so um, they just the, up the res. <laughs> the dolphin piccolo will not eat whiting. Piccolo doesn't like whiting. So when we prepare the fish in the morning, if there's any whiting, we have to give them to one of the other dolphins. I'm going to try and play your recording. Oh, yes, please. And see if it comes through. Hang on. Did you get that at all? Yeah, that's, that sounded like cod. I'll try one more time. <laughs> that's so that, cool. Yep, that's yep that, was def- that definitely sounded like cod being bounced back <laughs> at me. <laughs> Two echo locations from a beautiful dolphin called Puck. Now, you say, Dan was saying before about trying to work out the fish, but would it be correct to say that the echolocation wouldn't work above water? It's only for water. Exactly, so yeah. it can't be, it's using its eye to see above the water and, and echolocation in the water, but the fish wasn't in the water at that That's time. Right. Yep, the fish is out of the water. And the interesting thing about that echolocation, mm. they can eavesdrop on each other as well, <laughs> which kind of gets complicated. But And I have actually heard people say that the echolocations can be heard for like 10 kilometres underwater, which I don't think is true. I think the range is actually quite short. Otherwise, it would be an incredibly noisy world with a 1,000 dolphins there. 
uh, one of my future projects, I want to have three hydrophones, so one, two, and four metres away on a, on a beam, and then to record the one echolocation burst and from that extrapolate how, what the, the range of the actual call. Mm. Is the clicking the only noise that the dolphins make, or do they have a range of... How do they range in um, in dialect, I guess? Okay, um, they have a signature whistle as well, which is uh, just a high-pitched sort of squeal, which is basically their name. So that's saying um, who, they, who they are. Mm. That's, and you've, do they do they tell you their name when you're feeding them, or no, they don't bother with that? Uh, the young ones do a little bit, but sometimes with the young ones, it, um, the sound they make is a generic animal give-me-food call. <laughs> like you might yes. hear a, a magpie baby or a galah or anything, anything making. It's just a sort of an annoying, continuous um, squeaking noise. <laughs> that sounds it. like children to me. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the dolphins did used to try and give their names, and then when humans were too dumb in inverted commas to give their names back, they're like, oh, don't bother these guys. These fish givers are idiots. They, they can't even speak. Like They True. have no idea. Like They just bring us fish. We don't know what's going on. Uh. How many students do you need to rope in for the next one? We're taking up to like, like just a line of students out into Shark Bay, the ones you don't like the most, like closer to the sharks? This year, for the first week of December, I'm taking a group of 10 students up there with me. And so they're going to be uh, preparing the fish for the dolphins and then they're going into the water and they'll be um, <laughs> recording. Well, they're only ankle deep, basically. Oh, fine, fine. <laughs> and I've got two, two, I have two lifesavers with me as well. And we will be recording, hopefully taking lots and lots of recordings. And then when I take them back to school, I'll get my class to do the analysis of those as well. That's amazing. Now, I'm assuming, like, like in all science, it has to be acceptable losses. So is it 10%, 20%? Is it as in students lost to shark attacks? I'm just wondering. Some of them I'd be very happy with, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say I... preparing the fish, I'm assuming it's not like in a, in, in a rich juice with like no, no, Himalayan fish... salts. <laughs> Dolphins in the um, naturally don't eat dead fish, so apparently, if a dolphin has saw a dead fish in the ocean, it would it wouldn't eat it. So it's clever enough to know there could be a problem with that, I suppose. But the fish we get in are frozen. We thaw them out, we weigh them, we write down the species and which dolphins going to get each one, and put them in their separate buckets with their names on it. And then we go in there and we feed them, holding the fish by the tail. And so the dolphin eats it head first so it doesn't get stuck in the throat. But these dolphins are quite happy eating dead fish because that's what their mums taught them to do. Mm. Oh, right. I was wondering there for a moment, it was like a bit of pantomime where you had to go, oh, this is a live one, look at it go, and like wriggle <laughs> around with your hands and just trick the dolphin into thinking it's alive. Uh, dolphin theatre. I know they have to do that with snakes. They have to like get the little mouse and sort of jump it up and down so oh, the snake okay. is like, yoink. Yeah. <laughs> but and occasionally I've been lucky enough something sort of unusual to happen when while I'm in the water recording. So last year I was in the water and there was a, a pelican who also had a name and this pelican called Rogue was a, a bit of a pest because as you know pelicans are pretty happy to steal anything. So mm-hmm. when we had the pulling the fish out of our bucket this pelican would often come down and steal it and I didn't let the pelican have the fish and the pelican started getting a bit upset. It bit this lady on the bum, um, <laughs> and it actually stole the fish out of the dolphin's mouth. Oh, wow. Uh, and so I was so excited because I was recording all of this, and so <laughs> I was really keen to see what was going on with the with the echolocation because this was sort of some sort of confirmation of my idea that an increase in frequency would be some sort of excitement without anthropomorphizing as well. And so when I went through the recordings, at this point, the echolocation frequency went through the roof, which was which was fantastic. So this dolphin was either excited or upset, but it was displaying that with a high echolocation rate, and it wasn't navigating, it wasn't finding fish or anything. Mm. Wow, so you recorded it's... a dolphin swear word. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> only once, my sample size of one doesn't really cut it, which is a pity. Mm. <laughs> it's very hard to bleep dolphin swear words, too. <laughs> Because <laughs> well, yeah, you can't, you're not sure whether you've bleeped it yet, yet already. Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> it's just a whole collection of clicks and beeps. Yeah, which could just be, an, which should just be another swear word. Which yeah. unfortunately, you just insulted maybe, a whole other. Maybe that's what I've been doing for nine years: is like changing all of our swear words into dolphin swear words. <laughs> well, we get a, a strongly loaded, a worded letter from our dolphin listenership from here on in. Very, very angry about this. Now, Darren, you're not just interested in the front end of dolphins, so the, whether the noise comes out of the mouth and the, and the hump, the melon, sorry. Noise the melon. can come out right. of the other end. Yes. 
That's true. Useful noise. You're also interested in the things that slow dolphins down as well. Absolutely, yeah. Look, this sort of started back in about 2014. One of the Swan River dolphins, Gizmo, who was my favourite dolphin in the river. Beautiful, beautiful dolphin. He was one of the dolphin calves. Gizmo got tangled in fishing line and... I'm part of a group called Dolphin Watch, and we got a call from the Dolphin Watch organisers. There's about, I think there's nearly a 1,000 volunteers, and they said, we need you to find Gizmo to, to tell us where he is and if we can help him. So my daughter and I spent hours and hours out in the river trying to find him, couldn't find him, but somebody did find Gizmo, and the water police intervened. They jumped in the water with this dolphin, and they got the fishing line untangled off its dorsal fin. They quickly took it into shore, and some vets gave it some antibiotics and let it go again. So... so- when you say this fishing, what you don't just mean like a little bit. Of, that must be a pretty serious tangle if you can catch a dolphin in its natural environment. Yeah, the fishing line just got caught on the front of the dolphin fin, and once it starts to cut in a little bit, it gets stuck in there. Um, the, no. the remarkable thing about this story, and I've seen the video of it, is that normally, if, if a human or any animal got in between or an intelligent mammal's mother and the calf, normally mm. the mother would go bananas. But in this case, the mother, female dolphin just stood back and calmly watched these two policemen catch its offspring as if that she knew that they were going to help. Quite incredible. But anyway, the story is that Gizmo, the dolphin, was released quickly, but the dorsal fin was really flopped to the side, which made Gizmo really easy to see in the river. About a year and a half later, Gizmo was found dead down near the casino somewhere, which was terrible. came out and said that Gizmo died from um, septicemia as a result of the infection. But I was talking to my class about it and I was saying to them that maybe there was something else beside that infection, which there was, maybe Gizmo couldn't get up to speed with this floppy dorsal fin. So apparently it did have an, est- an empty gastrointestinal tract. So anyway, we built a, um, a 3D printed model of Gizmo and we've been dropping that down a tank, a two and a half metre high tank and measuring the hydrodynamic flow. And we also have a 3D printed model of a healthy dolphin. And as it turns out, as you would expect, even a small amount of damage to the dorsal fin causes a huge amount of drag. How did you actually mathematically model the drag? Mathematically model it by just looking at the cross-sectional area. Because we, we did mathematical modelling and mm-hmm. we actually did timing of the real model that we'd made. Oh, I see. Right. I so see. Did, the mathematical model is quite simple. It's just the density of the medium that it's travelling through, which is water, the velocity that's travelling at cubed, the coefficient of drag of the object, and the cross-sectional area. Okay. And you could see that when you took the actual model, you could see that it was slowing down. It took a lot more energy to move to that water. Yes, yeah. And then from that, we could actually work out what the theoretical maximum velocity that that, that dolphin could get up to. And what percentage of, of a healthy dolphin could it get up to, do you think, or gizmo when it was oh. uh, when it's damaged? Gizmo had about a 20% disadvantage. Wow, okay, so it's a really big. Ooh. And that was just from being cut by fishing line. Yes. When you do the maths of it, it's the velocity cube that kills it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start cubing numbers, powerful stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And so to get to those higher velocities with this damage, the dorsal fin was almost impossible. And so he couldn't, your hypothesis, therefore, he couldn't catch the fish in the river. Yes, so the mm. I mean the conclusion was that died of septicemia, which I obviously accept because the autopsy was done by a professional. But I think this was an addition to that as well. It was just hard work for the poor thing to get up to speed. Mm. It's like trying to yeah. do uh, Bathurst in a Mister Whippy van. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and when you, and when you've got pneumonia, that's the <laughs> yeah. as in okay, right? Wow. Okay. So that's and that's amazing. I'm, I love the idea that you used. 3D printing with your class to actually model this in the real life. It wasn't just a, an abstract mathematical formula. It was something tangible they could touch and build themselves. I love that idea. Yeah. The tank we've got is not really big enough to do proper recording. So last year I took the I – have, I have three models. I've got a healthy dolphin, the gizmo dolphin, and I've also got a, a model of the dolphin surprise I mentioned earlier that half, had half its head bitten off. Oh, yes. Uh, and so I took those three dolphins with me um, – out in monkey mire out in the water and i was there dropping them down into the deeper water trying to time them and a boat full of tourists came past and they must have wondered what on earth in the world was going on this man standing in the water or floating in the water dropping these three model dolphins down with them um, with, with a stopwatch in my hand so 
this is what science looks like, everyone. Yeah. Real science. Like, <laughs> it's happening right in front of you. A lot of the 3D so, models I've seen, they look like they're made out of little tiny, tiny Lego blocks. And so do you sand off the models or do you, do you account for that in the test? That's what makes it fun. Is this so hard? The kid said to me so many times, a failure again. But I said, that's, you know, if it was easy, it wouldn't be fun. And if it was easy, someone else would have done it. So when we, when we made our first model, we put it in the water and the water just soaked through the different layers like a sponge. So what we ended up having to do was we did, we sanded it smooth and then painted it with latex. And the other thing we had to do was make it so that the density of the dolphin was just slightly more dense than water. Otherwise, obviously, they're going to float. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Which is not going to help you at all. So you've modelled damage the dolphins, slowing them down. So now could you go the other way and and create a piece of armour or a piece of a, an addition to the dolphin that would give it an advantage in the water? I'm thinking here there's a book called His Dark Materials that has polar bears wearing armour, and I'm very excited by this concept. So could you have dolphins in the water that can now travel faster and better than other dolphins due to 3D printing? There, there was a dolphin in the United States that lost its entire tail. That I think there was a movie made of it that had a, an artificial tail put on. Okay. Yeah, with Gizmo the dolphin, they w- probably would have been good to have a bit of surgery just to cut the floppy bit off, which would have been made it handy. So, ah, so then, okay. Well, in all seriousness, Sam, that's what this sort of research can actually help with, because you may want not want to. Uh, people may not want to interfere with a dolphin that's damaged like this, because let nature run its course, or if we, we might do more damage. But hopefully, something like this may show people if we do intervene with a dolphin like this, and 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 plastic surgery its dolphin a dorsal fin, it will add to its lifetime yeah it's, yeah it's more helpful than hurtful yeah and another dolphin died recently called splash in the swan river and splash again was was tangled this time tangled in fishing line around its tail that got plastic caught in it this poor dolphin calf died because it couldn't get up to speed as well so my students and i started a group called trash for splash so in honor of the dolphin splash and so this was encouraging people to pick up four pieces of rubbish around waterways in honor of splash so trash for splash that's a great idea, and that's that's. I was going to bring up the comment: if you do fishing, if you're out fishing, a lot, a lot of time, if something gets tangled, people just cut the line and throw it in the river or throw it in the sea, and this shows you how much actual damage that can do. Yeah, and I mean, the big problem with it is that this fishing line could be historical. Dumb. It could have been from thirty years ago. Yeah. Oh yes, don't break yeah. down that quick. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's nylon, isn't it? It's just it's a it's a plastic of some yeah. sort. Yeah, it's not going to – yeah, and, and animals eat it, and it's a whole I – mean, we could talk about that for ages, the idea of plastic in our oceans and, and yes. micro, microplastic and macroplastics and, and uh, yes, a, a good comment. I can't remember who said this originally. It's not my comment, but is uh, you never throw anything away. You just place it somewhere else. Yes, uh, yeah. The idea that you're like, oh, we put it, we, we, it's gone. No, 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 no. It's just, it's just in the ocean, everyone. It, it, there's no, it didn't leave planet Earth. It's still there. So consider that when you throw it everything in the bin. My wife and I go for a walk every Monday morning along the bay here, and you've never heard two people just slagging off toddlers as much <laughs> because we keep finding popped balloons yeah. from these Christmas parties, and it's like, ah, oh, these. And three-year-olds celebrating their <laughs> god-awful birthdays. Thanks, Dad. I mean, to hell with them all. It's difficult. Well, and that's the, the. I mean, balloons are a big, big issue. With mylar balloons. We, we've had a, we've had a rant a long time about helium, but the actual balloons themselves, the mylar, is a big problem. Yes. The rubber, and it's uh, a friend of ours. His one of his children was actually frightened of balloons, and that led them to create paper mache spheres instead of balloons okay and that was at the time i was like oh that's that's nice it's a nice idea you don't want to scare your children but now like that's a brilliant idea because it looks exactly the same like it's it's a big round colorful thing that you hang from the ceiling i reckon colored chinese lanterns yeah they're cheap to make you get a box of them for four bucks and recycled make sure it's recycled material and just use those instead of plastic stop using plastic anyway we're just ranting now. We're just, we're just we're three people on a phone call ranting at each other. About <laughs> it's not good. When you're teaching your classes, what do you wish other teachers could do? Or what do you wish you could do to make classes of science more exciting? Uh, look, for me, it's about authentic experiences. So rather than students sort of answering questions out of a textbook. So my, my main um, sort of real idea is teaching students to be scientists rather than just teaching them science. And mm. to do that, 
Um, I need authentic data, and so that's the main reason I'm doing this. Mm. I think data's the key, isn't it? That's one of those interesting ideas. Science is not a big book that, with all the knowledge inside yeah. it. It's actually something you have to go and do. And I feel gathering data is something we don't teach children how to do. We don't teach anyone how to do, not just children. No, no. I mean, I have had parents. I have had parents say to me, "When's the dolphin test going to be?" And <laughs> and I say, "Well, there there won't be a dolphin test." And they sort of seem astonished, as if I'm wasting their kids' time. But, uh, <laughs> Teaching to the exam is not always the best idea. Absolutely, yeah. It's a practical. And, it's a practical test. If they come out of the water, they pass. <laughs> it's like Castaway. We send in ten. We, we there are only eight scholarships. You work it out. That's how it's going to be. Do the students who go on to higher education, tertiary education, using data will be very important to them, obviously, uh, to, for higher degrees. But also for students who don't, it's still very useful to be able to look at statistics and look at numbers and to be able to understand the relationship between things. It's not just for ivory tower and inverted common academics. It can be useful in everyone's life. It is. And I, a few years ago, I interviewed some ex-students that were at university and asked them how school let them down, as in hmm. the program, the gifted program let them down. And they said that they, they leave school being masters of the internet and masters of Microsoft Word. But <laughs> the kids that were doing science were using Excel. And so they said they felt the school really let them down in terms of using Microsoft Excel, which was basically this number crunching that, that I love doing. So when they went to university, they didn't have that knowledge? Yes, yeah, there's a big issue with all this information and why we teach certain things is, is based on historical ideas of what good education is and therefore that passes down generation to generation. So if your parents thought it was a good idea to learn algebra and trigonometry, then you should learn algebra and trigonometry. And it may be useful, don't get me wrong, but we need to look at it every so often and actually use it, not just learn it. Yes. Darren, is there anything else you'd like to say about your program or your work with dolphins? Oh, look, one other, one of the very quick thing is that remarkably, a new species of dolphin was described up near Broome in about 2007, I think it was, it was quite recently. Oh, wow. And this, um, originally the dolphins that were there, they thought was an Irrawaddy dolphin, which is a river dolphin up in Myanmar, I think it was. But um, these snubfin dolphins are amazing creatures. And so I'm hoping to be able to get permission to do a little bit more research on those as well. So they're ugly looking dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> well, the normal dolphins are such, such pretty-looking things. These have got sort of big, round, blunt noses. They make this funny little sort of um, burst of three little echolocations, and I don't think a lot of study's been done on them. Oh, wow. So you want to go up there and actually study these dolphins and get more information on them. That's amazing. That's so cool. And I stand oh by the Oh, my God, dolphins. I'm looking at a picture of one now. <laughs> uh, they're not pretty, are they? Ah, oh, look, I don't know how there's any... I'm trying to find a nice uh, comparison to explain to our listeners what I'm looking at, but it's a penis. It's a grey <laughs> cock that swims around. Like, you All look right. it up and it, you, you'll be like, nope, uh, there's no way that Dan could have picked anything else to compare it to. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm, 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 well, I don't want to... I'm using my work computer, so I don't want to look it up now. It may not be not safe for work at this point. Oh, yeah, uh -oh. yeah. You'll end up on a watch list or something. <laughs> Oh, dear. And with that bombshell, thank you very much, Darren, for, for chatting to us today. No and uh, for our listeners, make sure that if you want to help out, don't throw your plastic in the rivers or the oceans. Take your fish lines home and maybe you can pick up some trash for Splash. Oh, my God. Uh, that one looks just like mine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Once again, to Darren Hamley, an amazing educator uh, and who taught us all about dolphins and all the exciting things that we talked about in the interview. It's, I just want to point out that, that Darren is the teacher that you want. <laughs> if you happen to Western Australia, go to the Williston High School uh, because he's an amazing yeah. teacher. I he may have made a couple of cracks about slave labour. <laughs> no, he's amazing. And it, we, I have a lot of time for, for Darren. I, I've got to meet him now and work with him a little bit. And he's a, he's a really interesting guy. It, it, I love the fact his school has let him do interesting things. I'm going, oh, you're a science teacher and teach the curriculum, but also you can do all these crazy things, you know, electric cars and solar-powered cars and all those interesting things that we didn't even talk about. He's also the recipient in, in 2008, he was a recipient of the Royal Society of Western Australia's inaugural Doug Clark Medal 
So initiating the Doug Clark Education Advocacy Award Medal for the Society. This award recognizes the outstanding contribution to science education made by Doug Clark from Murdoch University. So basically, this, a medal was made for Darren that, <laughs> to show how good he is. So we're very lucky to get to chat to him. And it's, I love the idea that it's his passion for things in a classroom. And when I was a teacher, I'm, I, was, I wasn't as good as Darren, don't get me wrong, but I appreciate where he was coming from. Curriculum is fine. You have to teach, you know, teach the test. And it's, and it's good to be able to judge how effective something is in all sorts of industries. Yes. And like it's good to have tests and be able to go, yes, this has been a successful thing to do. Of course. But it's great that to get support as a teacher, that he can go and build these cool things and make his students build cool things. Yeah. And to get real-life knowledge and skills. So that's real education to me. That's how it all works. Because so. real education enthuses people to learn the things that oh, are going to make the world better. Exactly right. If I'd had a teacher who said, let's 3D print a dolphin's back that you know we cut and then we'll put into a water tube, I would have gone... Oh my God, that's amazing. That's I would have asked what a 3D printer was back then. But that's yeah, uh, <laughs> I had an English teacher who taught me geography. Ask me, ask me any geography question. Um, w- w- what is no fucking idea? <laughs> no fucking idea at all. Yeah, I no. So saying though, I will say, oh, you, you can cut this out if you choose to. Uh, I, this is this extends to the entire podcast. <laughs> When when I was uh, teaching, I got put into biology. I I'm not a biology teacher, so mm-hmm. I get to teach grade eleven biology. Oh, and is... you famously hate biology, and I'm not a biology guy. Uh, and and but and I and I'd only done biology last time at school. So I'm now teaching grade eleven kids who were the same age the last time, or older than the age I did. So I was teaching not from teaching from the textbook. We all teach from textbooks, but I was very honest and went, "Hey guys, I'm, I'm a physicist, and I think all human biology is gross and, and weird, and we're going to be learning about plants, and I don't know this stuff very well." And the kids were like. Oh no! And I was like, I will be ahead of you, you know, like like a uh, work. But but if you think something's wrong, let's chat about it. And I made a really good teaching environment. And I'm sure some parents out there listening now are going, "You're the worst." And fair enough. I I had to do the best I could. Yeah, I wasn't going to lie to the students, and it worked. And some students didn't like it. They were like, "You're an idiot, sir," which I accepted. Uh, but other students, we, we it was became conversational, became a transaction. I knew more than them, and I'm smarter than them and older than them, so I had more experience. But uh, sometimes I was like, I think this is how it works. I'm going to go find that out. Well, how about you go find that out for me? Because your question is very complicated. There's a thing called the internet that has all the information. Come back tomorrow and then talk, and we'll have that conversation in the class. Not the basic stuff that I can get from the mm. book, but the extension stuff. And it worked pretty well. So you can learn things from a teacher who can't who doesn't know it, but I'm in, interested in it. Yeah, you've got to you've got to be enthused. Yeah, you got to be enthused. Absolutely. If you're not an enthused teacher, oh my goodness, I used to sit in a staff room and used to hear a, an older teacher bitch about their teaching career and where they were and how they're looking forward to retirement and oh my god, in this many this I think for ten years and and that's all they could complain. I, I just wanted to scream. Go now, not just for the kids, but but for me and for everyone in this room, and for the and for yourself, because you are an unhappy human being and you hate your job, and we all know you hate your job and you hate the kids and you hate everything. Yet you're here because of the pension. It's not worth it, people. It's not worth it. It's it, it, I would I don't want to reach the end of my life and go. I hated the last twenty years, but now I'm living it up on Easy Street. Like no, don't on do welfare, it. on welfare, or on 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 their superannuation yeah. or whatever. I just don't do it. No. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Walk of Shame. Oh, yeah. Walk of Shame. Walk of Shame, for those who don't know, the Walk of Shame is the time when, if Dan and I make a mistake in the podcast, our wonderful listeners write into us and go, well, actually, yeah. and in the nicest possible way, and tell us how what we did wrong. And we love these things. You must get in contact with us. Because that's science, baby. Accepting the flaws in your own knowledge and... Getting the tr- getting closer to the truth. And Dan and I have always said we are not experts in anything. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Good Lord, no. And so we are happy to be told by people who know things, such as our wonderful listeners. I'm sure, though, there's nothing to talk about today, Dan. I'm really excited because <laughs> we're revisiting putting the ISS underwater. Oh, no. <laughs> we're back, are we? Yes, because there's another element. Now, this is something that had pinged when you talked about it. I was mm. like, oh, you can't just take a spaceship and put it underwater mm. and just be talking about the, the, the pressure that the metal is going to fail. There's mm. something, and you did mention that the salt water would yeah. rust away at the bolts and stuff. And the rubber and all, basically, yeah, it's, it's yeah. chemistry. Chemistry is a thing, All that man. sort of stuff. But chemistry is a thing. 
but even then, I was like, I feel like there's something we're not taking into consideration. But I didn't know what the question was. I didn't even know what Ooh. to ask or who to ask. Yes. But thankfully, we had a listener. This listener, Phil Kent, who has been a big fan of the podcast yes. for many, many, many years. He's an aquaculture specialist. Oh, my goodness. So, oh. in space... The atmosphere outside the space station is zero, mm -hmm. but inside the space station, it's one. Mm -hmm. Okay, all good. We've already established that sinking it to a depth of 10 metres means the atmospheres go up to two, two. in total. <laughs> yep, oops. <laughs> but what about the pressure inside the ISS underwater? How much pressure would you need inside the device? Mm. Phil says, I know a little about seals, and I'm pretty sure you'll find that to stay airtight, the inside of the ISS would need to be about one atmosphere higher pressure than the outside environment. So if the ISS was on the ground and the atmosphere outside was one yes. and inside was one, the seals wouldn't connect because the seals are on the inside of the oh. device. So the internal pressure pressurizes the container. Right, right. So, so, so hang you, on. So if you were going in the ocean, let me just, let me work this through. If you were going in the ocean and two and there's two pressures on the outside, the water would come straight in. Would come straight in. But if you just dipped it in the ocean, the yep. water would still come in because it's one atmosphere of pressure and there's no pressure pushing outwards and keeping that Got air it. out. Right, right, right. Okay. So this is called a pressure differential to make them air or watertight. This mm -hmm. is one of the reasons that airplane doors close from the inside. The pressure from inside forces the door against its seals, creating a tight fit. It also means that the door is impossible to open mid-flight. People aren't strong enough to fight against the air pressure. He assumes the space vehicle works the same way. Mm. On the other hand, a submarine has the seals on the opposite side to stop the water getting in because the high pressure is on the outside. Yes. So if you launched a submarine into space, all the air inside would release those seals. The yep. pressure's coming from the wrong side and all the air would, would rush, rush out, out. and yep. all the crew would die. Fair enough. So spaceships aren't submarines. But Phil would be very impressed that you managed to get a submarine into space. <laughs> well, thank you, Phil. That was pretty good. I love it when we have experts. That's great. People who know what they're talking about. So, yeah. So, we'll, I'll put Phil's... Twitter account in the, the cool. show notes because if you want a custom fish tank, there you go. He's the guy to talk to. That's it. Like, we don't do ads, but my goodness. Well, that... actually, he paid us to do an ad for oh, our 100th for the live show. episode. For the live shows? Oh, the, the, well, yeah, 100th. the live show, our 100. Oh. Oh. And uh, nothing. Not a oh. nibble. So oh. I just want to give a little bit of no, a freebie no, that's to it. Fair, yeah. fair enough. Thanks, Phil. We appreciate it. That's really good. All right. I have one as well, Dan, from a listener, Steve. Steve Stewart, who's one of our longtime listeners as well. And he is very upset, Dan. That oh, that sounds like him. <laughs> he's, he's very emotional, fella. He, he feels that, because he, he wrote in about soldering originally, and about solder, and we're talking about soldering the last walk of shame. Mm -hmm. And he feels that, Dan, you let me off for saying that, uh, for basically the walk of shame, because solder is not glue. Yeah. And you, you, it's kind of like a glue, and you let me off. I said, it's kind of like a glue. And you're like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And then he says, solder is not glue, let alone freaking lava fiasco. So he's very upset. So this is, a, this is, just, this is just him being upset about yes. my previous... He feels you let me go too easily. So, so basically, it's not glue. You let me get away with glue. So he went, he, he went and found a reference to explainthatstuff.com about weldering. So it says here very clearly, he's put a big red circle around a thing so you can see it. Like it's, it's, all, it's all very serious. Uh, it's very important. It's, this is the, very, the line. It's very important to note that solder is not glue. It is not designed to make a mechanical connection. There you go. So it is not a glue. It's not designed to make an, a, a mechanical, mechanical connection. connection. Yes. It's not adhering two surfaces together. It is making two surfaces one surface. But, but... I don't understand it either. I but. soldered this morning, and I soldered a wire to a metal thing. Yes. Because they'd come apart... And I needed them to get back together. But it's not a mechanical... I needed to adhere one to no, the no, other. It's not adhering. It, you've made one thing the same thing. But yep. it's not the same thing because it fell off, didn't it? <laughs> Steve. Well, that look, don't yell at Steve. Yell at the... It didn't just crack in two. It fell the fuck off. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not glue. It's not a glue. He then sent a lot of passive-aggressive pictures on his Twitter account. Oh, the I SF saw that. Yes, he too. Basically, all these things that he'd soldered together, all these horseshoes and things, uh, and... He welded them. It, 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 yes, if you, if you weld, so welded them together. Yeah, so... Uh, no, uh, yeah, well, welding's not gluing. Welding is melting two things together. But solder's not melting two things together. Solder's a... Oh, look. He's not... <laughs> 
I'm walking this walk, but I am very cranky. Very and I am meandering. I, I wrote. I wrote back. I wrote back saying, "Hey, thanks for the walk of shame. I really appreciate it. You know, it's. It, it, I like the red circle." And he wrote back saying, "Don't get me wrong. I totally realise it's wholly Machiavellian taking Dan's graciousness and slapping it back in his face." But let's be let's be honest. He's not had his number of turns of shame that you have. Plus, it's funny. So there you go. Our listeners listeners are now trying to balance the the. Can I just say crazy stuff all the time? And uh, and now they're coming to get you, Dan, because it's funny. Starting but, to really hate this segment. <laughs> if you have found a walk of shame, maybe about welding or soldering, or God knows, let's stop talking about welding and soldering. We're done with that now. We're done. We're done. <laughs> so if you find it anything else that we say in the podcast, then let us know. I've come unglued. <laughs> two have become one. One have become two. If so, if you find out that Dan has said something ridiculous, please send it to me, Greg, at greg at smartenough.org. And if Greg says something, send it to dan at smartenough.org. Fantastic. Who you have been listening to. That's very good. Yeah. I don't even need to put a sting between them now. <laughs> if you would like to follow us in any way on our social media or subscribing to the podcast, there's a bunch of buttons on the website, yeah. smartenough.org. Yeah, yeah, go it's there. the easiest thing in the world. Yep. Or just Google anything that you've heard. Yeah. Like that's Yeah, you'll find us. There's gonna be show notes We're around. from the stuff that we talked about in the podcast. And if you would like to support us, then tell your friends, tell yep. people who would be interested in our podcast. Absolutely. If you want to support us financially, it's not crucial mm. but you could drop some money into our paypal mm-hmm. you could buy a shirt yeah one of our shirts christmas time mm. or you could become a patron yes on patreon and some people give two bucks and we love that some people give five bucks and we on def- the condition mm. that we read out their names oh here we oh, okay. oh, so many conditions why have you make us do things people Come so on. thank you very much to andrew potts andrew trousdale and andrew whitehurst Lots of the Andrews. three andrews the three andrews <laughs> Try Andy. <laughs> uh, Ava Greenbury, Alana Mitchell, Elizabeth Youngkin, Gary Heather, Jack Evil One Dooney, Lindsay Jenkinson, Matt Ewers, Matthew Toy, two mats. Two mats. Double mat. Michael Barnes, Morden O'Hare, Phil Holland, and Steve Eichenhout. Thank you all so much for your donation. That's it. That's it. That's, That's it. No, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. Well, I think, Dan, you'll find there's another level again well, the, basically, t- the top tier the top tier where people have decided that it's fun for Dan to just crush them like a bug I don't, I don't know, know why, why they want I don't this. know it's so weird it's such an odd thing whoever said that was a total bastard <coughs> and uh, now Dan each month has to go and find these people and destroy them reach into their very souls and crush them okay it's Thanksgiving time in some parts of the world. Now we don't celebrate Thanksgiving. No, in we Australia. don't. We give no thanks for anything. We're no. very angry people. Oh, we do celebrate not having Thanksgiving. Oh, do we? But that's more of a. That's not really an official thing. That's just. <laughs> gee, I'm glad I don't have to hang out with my family today. <laughs> Again, we've, we saw them Halloween, which we don't really celebrate. But we kind of do now, and Christmas. You have all these times at the end of your year where you're just like October, November, December. It's actually pretty cool. Wouldn't it be great to have a different... Ho- oh, actually, I like that. No, that's, that's, we must have Thanksgiving. Yeah, what, you ramp up into the end of the... Or, or yeah. Unwind into yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm all for it. Okay, well, I'm going to... Uh, firstly, I know that the, I know this from American television. I just want to say that I'm thankful for Al Batson and Eric Wilson, Aww. who pay for our top tier and don't insist that I abuse, abuse them every Aww. month. Thanks, gents. Okay, now, the abuse. <laughs> Steve Stewart. Oh, I'm going to relish this one today. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Stewart, you are the pumpkin spice of listeners in that I'd be happy to only have to put up with you one twelfth of the year. (laughs) Okay. Tom Seary, you are a giant half-inflated Barney the Dinosaur. Take that. It's, it's like the most famous Macy's Thanksgiving parade accident. That oh, happened. okay. Oh, right. He's a giant Barney oh. the Dinosaur deflated midway through and just crushed a bunch of people. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, just like Tom Seary. <laughs> okay. Dustin Fallon, mm. you're like a pardoned Thanksgiving turkey. Bred for one single purpose, and you fail even at that. <laughs> Mikkel Keita, you couldn't purposely infect a race of people with smallpox-laced blankets and linens if your quest for ill-gotten resources to spur on your wholly misguided attempt for a nation built on a foundation of suffering and abuse on minorities depended on it. (laughs) 
And finally, my f- my final mm. Thanksgiving abuse. Mm-hmm. Scott Driscoll, get stuffed. <laughs> nice. Ah, <laughs> oh, they were quite good. I like those. Thank you very much, Dan. Oh. So thank you all so much to our top tier patrons. Oh, yes. Just thank them too for their money. That's very nice of them. If you want to be insulted with a, a themed insult, then you too can start being top tier. Yes, if you want to be insulted, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and as we always like to say... <laughs> that sounded less like a dolphin and more like Kazooie. <laughs> Look, I'm blaming climate change, right? <laughs> Welcome to episode 157 of Smart Enough to Know Better. I'm Greg Wah. No, we're no. a podcast. Oh, oh. I just, oh my god, I stuffed up entirely. <laughs> He's, I'm in the room. Yeah, we're in the room. I'm we're staring, freaking each other I'm out. Staring him in his pretty eyes again. I'm all, I'm all discombobulated. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to get someone else in then who's less attractive. No, to no, me. no. Sorry about the croaky voice, that's all, but I'll see you tomorrow. Sorry about our screechy ones. <laughs> and as we always like to say, dolphins are a fluke. That's terrible. I just came out of my head. That was bad. That's, uh, yeah, I, it went wrong. It went very wrong. Oh, I don't no, feel well no, no, all of a so, sudden. We won't, we, won't, we won't use that one. Don't use that one. Do oh. use that one.